Hello, good morning. I'm glad to see that there's still lots of people grabbing coffee in the back there. Um, I feel like I'm walking in a forest up here. There's some palms on the ground here, so we'll just work with that. It's going to be great. Um, hello, my name is Nate. Uh, if I haven't met you, I'm, I'm an intern here at North Langley, and I've been able to help with Yorkson as things have relaunched here, and it's been, uh, yeah, an incredible opportunity. And, uh, yeah, just awesome to get to know some of you and to see how God has been working here. Uh, this morning, we're going to continue in our series in Luke. Uh, we've been going through Luke for quite some time now, and, and this morning we're actually going to finish up Luke 9, uh, which we also have been in for quite some time as well, too. Um, but before we do any of that, I just want to open up with, uh, with prayer here. So pray with me. Lord, I, I thank you for this moment, and I thank you for your presence here. I pray that you would just guide this time and that you would open our hearts and our ears to what you have for us. We love you and we praise you. Amen. Amen. Um, so, the term the American dream uh, is often attributed to a historian named James Adams. And he described it as a dream of a land in which life should be better and richer and fuller for everyone. Now, in one way or another, I think that we likely have all come in contact with the idea of the American dream or maybe the Canadian dream, and it may be not necessarily be so specifically this, um, but I'm fairly sure we've come in contact with it. And, and it's the idea of really, of like it's a picture, it's a vision of the good life. Um, and this is what it was uh, for James Adams, um, and I think for each of us, uh, we might have our own, our own vision and idea of the good life. And we might even actually have had something marketed or sold to us or an idea of what the good life should be. And so I'm actually curious, uh, just get some audience participation. What are some of the things that you've been told or that you even have as an idea of what the good life is? Um, just go ahead, shout them out. Hot tub. Hot tub. Yeah, <laughs> totally. That, that is the good life. Vacation on the beach. Oh, please. Vacation on the beach, yeah. Cars. Ca cars, yes. Lake. Sorry? Lake. Oh, an entire lake to yourself? Oh, yeah, yeah, that's it right there. That is, that's the good life. Yeah, I think in one way or another, we might be able to relate to some of these ideas. Um, but the question is... How do these things, how, do our, how does our vision of the good life align with Christ? How does it align with walking with Christ? At North Langley, we often talk about apprenticeship to Jesus. And that is what, uh, what Jesus did with his closest followers. He, he apprenticed them um, to live like himself. And really, that's what being an apprentice is. is you're trained by, by the master. you you do that to learn, learn a skill. And so Jesus did that with his followers by teaching them and showing them how to do it. He was calling his followers not just simply to follow him, but to become like him. And I think that's the same thing for us today. He's not calling us just simply to be Christians, but to become like him. And so this morning, I want to give us the opportunity to ask ourselves the question, is our vision of the good life one that is also being apprenticed to Christ. 
to Jesus. With that, let's read our text this morning, and we can find that in Luke 9, 57 to 62. Luke is one of the Gospels, and the Gospels just simply are the recordings of the life and ministry of Jesus. And so we can find, um, yeah, we can find those things there. And so we can pick up our story today in 57 to 62 of chapter 9. We can read that now. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes of dens and birds of nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Okay, what is going on here? Uh, These are not straightforward or pleasant words, uh, and they most definitely wouldn't have been to those receiving them originally. And this may actually even be a different picture than what we're typically used to with Jesus, that maybe he doesn't seem so gracious here as we would like him to be. But that's the thing, though. Perhaps that means that uh, we have a misunderstanding of who Jesus truly is. Theologian Tim Mackey, he, he provides a metaphor, a picture that was helpful for me as I came across this challenge when I was preparing for this, and, and I'd like to share it for you. So as we were talking about earlier, we, we all have a vision for the good life, um, and when we're voting for leaders, when we're voting for politicians, we actually vote based upon that idea, that vision of the good life. If I see a leader that runs on a platform that... Um, is is going to best uphold my idea of what the good life is, I'll vote for them. And at the point where they're no longer able to do it or they don't uphold um, their end of the bargain, I'll vote for someone else or I'll vote them out. And so my voting for a leader is purely dependent upon what I want them to do for me. Here's the thing, though. Jesus is not that type of leader. He's not a leader that is wanting to get our vote He's not a politician trying for us to get him to do what we want him to. Rather than seeing Jesus as a leader who we can vote into power or a politician, perhaps it's better to see him more so as a skilled mountain guide. And in in this metaphor, we would be, say, on the side of a mountain, stranded, and Jesus would come to us. And he would come to us and he'd say, I know the way forward. I know how to get over and around this mountain where we can get to safety, where we can find the life. But truthfully, though, on this path that I know the way forward, that we can get there through, it's actually going to be hard. It's not easy. We might become exhausted. We might lose things. We might sustain injury. And in, the, in this picture here, Jesus, when he comes to me, he actually has my long-term well-being in mind 
instead of my short-term happiness or my short-term comfort. He knows the way to life, and he's come to me to show it. Jesus is the one who gives us a vision of what he knows is the good life, rather than the one that I have held on to or has been marketed to me. Now, truthfully, as I was going through preparing for this, I was actually really challenged by this because I know that there are too often points in my life when I experience unanswered prayer or things don't go the way that I want them to that I start to become frustrated with Christ or I start to act in such a way where it's like I'm no longer voting for him. But truthfully, that's because I have treated Jesus as someone who I put into power to sustain and fulfill the things that I want. We have to remember that through all of this, that when Jesus comes to us, he comes as the good shepherd. And that he comes to us to call us to find true life and life to the full. Following Jesus is not something easy per se and will require something of us. If we want in on Jesus, we need to see him and his call for what they are, but it's worth it because there, there is life. Now, as we come back to our text in these three encounters, Jesus is emphasizing something. He's emphasizing that if we are to follow him, he must be supreme in our lives. He must be above all else. Now, we have been in Luke 9 for the past several weeks, and as Jeff mentioned last week in this chapter, Jesus is showing um, is shown as being set on going towards Jerusalem. He's just set on doing so. And so his responses in our text are actually himself revealing what the road that he would travel towards Jerusalem would look like. He was not trying to be mean or harsh. Rather, he was being honest. He was graciously being honest, allowing us to know what to expect if we too are to follow him. He didn't have a convoluted terms, uh, uh, conditions and terms box that we needed to sign off that we weren't going to read. He was just telling us in grace what it would look like. <clears throat> so here in our passage, we, we have these interactions of these people that were following him along the road towards Jerusalem. And I want to spend time looking at each one. So we can pick up our first one here in verse 57 where it says, as they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. So what was Jesus graciously telling and informing us of here? Well, God may call us to a place where comfort is uncertain. For the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. In fact, if we are to follow Jesus, it's almost promised and guaranteed that we will face a certain amount of discomfort. 
Jesus here was saying that on the road that he was traveling, that foxes and birds had a better chance of receiving hospitality than he would. And as followers of Christ, in reality, there's a certain homelessness that we experience in following him, wherein the world that we find ourselves is actually not our home. Peter, who was one of Jesus' closest followers, described it as living uh, as foreigners and exiles in his letters to the early church. Now, if any of you have ever moved around or traveled, you might actually know this feeling well. For, for myself, there was a point where I was able to spend seven months in Thailand, and I was able to work and serve with the church there. And it was an incredible experience. I was able to see God work in incredible ways. The, the weather was always warm there, and the food was phenomenal. But yet, in all of that, as many as incredible experiences I had, I think I had maybe close to, at just as many, moments of feeling homesick or having culture shock. It was this feeling that Thailand, as incredible as it was, wasn't home. As followers of Christ, then, I think there is this similar feeling where we know that our home actually is in him rather than the things around us, rather than the comfort of this world. If we are living in a place then that is not our home, how does that affect our vision of the good life? Is it focused on material comforts or something more than that? Here, Jesus is calling us to embrace him as supreme to our material comforts. The world that we live in, we are marketed and sold on this idea that material comforts is the thing that we should be seeking out. But truthfully, Jesus is inviting us to participate in something greater than that, greater than my personal comfort. Let's continue with that next interaction, and we can pick that up in, in verse 59, where it says, He said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Okay, what is going on here? <laughs> what was Jesus' reply getting at? Well, in, in Jewish culture, there was actually a, an incredibly high standard of family. It actually is such a high standard that it came at the expense of the individual. And so Jesus was actually challenging the culture that he found himself in. The obligation to bury one's father was regarded by many Jews as one of the most sacred and holy duties that uh, a son could perform. But Jesus was saying that this, this obligation to family, was even second to following him. Now, now, now hear me. J Jesus is not saying to, to completely disregard our families. Um, that is not what scripture would call us to. Jesus is actually using a hyperbole here. Of course, family is important. We honor Jesus 
by also honoring our parents, by graciously loving our children and self-sacrificially loving our spouses. But it comes down to this question, what have we chosen to build our lives around? What is our core identity? What vision of the good life are we holding on to that is built around something other than Jesus? In our culture, for some of us, I think there might be an exaltation of marriage or even parenting. And perhaps we may have put our trust in that at different points. <clears throat> now, for myself, I actually don't have any kids, um, and so I can only speak so much into that. But I have heard of and seen this challenge for many of my friends who our parents, this challenge of wanting to provide the best for, for their kids. And, and, and wanting the best for, for our children is a good thing. It's good to take care of our children and to love them. But if it becomes our core fixation, Jesus is calling for us to trust him with something more. Calling us to trust in fulfillment to be found in him. For myself, um, I've been able to walk with many of my friends and celebrate them getting married, and, and it's been an incredible experience to see that for them. But for myself, I still have found myself half single, and at different points throughout my life over the last seven years or so, I can't deny that there's been moments where I have longed to be married. Um, that I have maybe even bought into the lie that maybe then my life will be fulfilled and everything will be fixed. Which I know is a lie. But yet, there's still a part of me that has wanted to fixate on this and want to build my life around it. Jesus is calling us to put our hope in him rather than our families. He is calling us to see him as supreme even over our most meaningful relationships. Okay, let's continue with that last and third interaction. We can pick it up in verse 61 where it says, Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first... Let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Okay, once again, to better understand what's going on here, we need to understand also the, the context in which Jesus found himself. And, and so to say goodbye um, within the Jewish context here, it wasn't just simply as, as a, a quick hug and a peace sign and say, we'll see you later sort of type of deal. It was actually for, for a son um, to ask to say goodbye to, from their parents was actually asking them to leave their obligations behind. They were actually asking their parents to no longer have the authority over their lives. And with that, they would be acknowledging that this authority was greater than Jesus, greater than the authority of Jesus' call to come and follow them, follow him, sorry. <clears throat> As mentioned earlier, Jewish culture elevated 
family, over the individual. And that is quite different than the world that we find ourselves today, typically within Canada. Within Canada, I think authority is so much more often found within ourselves. That's the way that we view it, that we have a self-determination, a self-authority that determines the way that we or I want to live. And so the, I think the challenge here that is given to us is that are we ready to follow Christ and lay down that sense of personal authority that we have for ourselves? Are we willing to see Jesus as the one who has the final authority upon the way that we live our lives today? Now, Jesus responds to this person through an image of looking backwards while, while working a plow. And, and to look back while working a plow, yeah, it's going to lead to far from straight lines as, as Jesus described. And, and so to, to plow straight lines, the task required us to look straight ahead, straight forward, and, and be focused on a point. So similarly, similarly then, Jesus is calling us to have a fixed point of focus. A fixed point of focus of being focused on him. Christ is calling us to trust in him as he knows the good way to go. But this requires us also to act in humility and recognize that the authority that I have over my life pales to the authority that he has. And so I will actually be focused then on him rather than myself. So what does this actually look like then for us? Well, it may be different for for each of us, but here's the thing. He does call us down a path that is not easy. He calls us down a path where we are to disregard our desire for physical comfort. One where we forgo placing our ultimate hope in our families. One where we humbly lay down our personal authority and recognize that Jesus, the way he lived and the things that he said 2,000 years ago, have an impact directly upon the way that I live today. Let us come back to this important question, though, and, and how is it then that we view Jesus? If he is someone worth trusting our lives with, if he is someone that has come to us on the mountainside, then, then yeah, these things make sense. It makes sense to trust them above all else. But if he is someone that is simply meant to fulfill my idea of, what, of the good life, my idea of what I want, then this doesn't. I want to emphasize this, that that Jesus was gracious to let us know the road that he was to travel. He hid nothing from us. There was no fine print in his invitation and there was no bait and switch. He was graciously informing us of the way to go. But with all of this, Jesus also talked about this hard road another way. We can, we can pick it up in Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 to 30. 
where he talks about life with him this way. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus did not tell us the seriousness of following him to get us scared. He wants us to consider our priorities. He wants us to consider where he is the most important in our lives and where he isn't. Because in all of this, he wants to be in relationship with us and, to, and for us to experience the beauty of living with him. If we focus on plowing that field by ourselves, it's inevitable that our lines actually aren't going to be straight. A yoke, as described here in Matthew, was actually something, still is something, that's actually used to put on an oxen um, so that they can pull together. Um, this way that they can plow a field more straight, they can keep in line with each other rather than just fighting each other going all over the place. Now, if I were to be put in a yoke with someone else, I would want them to be someone super burly, actually. Someone who was able to do a lot of the work and so that I could kind of just follow along with them. I would want someone who actually had done the work beforehand that, know, that knew what they were doing. And that's the thing. That's exactly who Jesus is. Jesus has called us down this path to follow him because he's already walked it. And his burden is, our, yeah, life with him is easy and our burden is light because he is the one that takes on the lead. He is the one that takes on the hard work of trudging down the field. If we trust him as the skilled mountain guide to lead us through the pass, then we can take on this yoke as something that is easy. But if we don't trust him, we'll fight and we'll pull. Now, as we follow Jesus, it's also important to recognize that he actually took the path that none of us could. Today is Palm Sunday, um, and this is the day that we celebrate Jesus coming to Jerusalem on the donkey. And at the beginning of Holy Week, where, where in Friday we remember his sacrifice and his death. And then on Sunday, we celebrate his resurrection and his victory. But as Jesus walked towards Jerusalem, there were many people who followed him. And then as he came to Jerusalem, there was even more people there. And there's this great, incredible celebration. But throughout that week, Jesus didn't do the things that the people wanted him to. He didn't overthrow Rome. He affronted religious institutions. And he called people to the hard road of self-sacrificial love. And then one by one, people eventually stopped following him. To eventually that crowd that welcomed him on Sunday in celebration was turned to a mob on Friday that yelled out, crucify him. Jesus said hard things. Do not build your life around family, personal comfort, personal authority. 
But in all of this, Jesus was warning us that we can't build our identity around these things because eventually the promise that we think these things will fulfill, eventually they won't be able to do it. Eventually we'll be hurt, we'll be dismayed, we'll be discouraged. Anything other than Jesus will leave us this way. But once more, with all of this, there's another reality, and that is that no matter how much I want and to will myself into following Jesus and following him down this hard road and doing the things that he has told us to, the truth is I actually can't do it. The truth is that I'm not able to focus on Jesus and have him be the thing that I care about all the time perfectly. I know that I can't. But regardless of this, Jesus has invited us into relationship. And when, when we come to Jesus admit, and admit that, Lord, I can't actually live this hard road that you've called me to, he meets us there. And he says, come to me. Let's do this together. It's okay if you've made a mistake. Let's do it again. Remember, his burden is light. We do not take on this hard road out of our own ability, but by walking with him. But as the more and more that I am shaped into his likeness and that my core identity is transformed into being more like him, inevitably my world changes. Inevitably our world changes. In those situations, it's no longer about trying to find a spouse. It's no longer about focusing and trying to get on this housing market that's impossible to do so. It's not about ensuring that people will like me, and it's not about being in control. It's about Christ and his love. So with all of this, I think the question that we need to be asking ourselves is, what have we built our lives around? What vision of the good life are we holding on to? And then also, do we trust Christ as the one who can truly lead us to abundant life? What if we traded in our vision for the good life for something far better than that? For relationship with Jesus who loved me and gave himself for me, as Galatians 2.20 would put it. And here's the thing, my vision of the good life actually didn't do that for me, but Jesus did. Now, perhaps through this time, God has been placing something on your heart that you know you have built your life around. Maybe it's one of these three things, personal comfort, family, our own self-authority, but maybe it's something else. In a moment, we're going to actually spend a moment, uh, a time in quiet. And in this moment, if you, if you feel comfortable, I would invite you to just spend time with Jesus and admit those things to him. Admit that you have built your life around something other than him. And ask him to meet you there. And to replace those things day by day with him. Or, or maybe you know that 
there are things that you have built your life around, but you're not ready to give them up. You're not quite comfortable with that. I still invite you to just simply spend time with Jesus and admit those things to him. Admit your fears, admit, admit your doubts, and ask him to meet you there and see what happens. So I'd invite you just to, to close your eyes and just take a moment in quiet here with me. Lord Jesus, I, I thank you. I, I thank you for your grace and your mercy and that you were gracious enough with us to be honest, to let us know of the road ahead. But with that, I'm also so thankful that life with you, that life in your yoke, that our burden is light, God. I pray that you would continue to reveal to us where we have built our life around something other than you. That you would continue to form us and shape us into your likeness, God. I pray these things in your name. Amen.